1: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His
0: name is Major.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout.
1: This is a major achievement. With
0: CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett.
2: Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse?
1: (laughs) The answer is yes.
0: Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I can't tell you how excited I am to do this show. First of all, we're in New York City. The Lambs Club is the great vibe you feel and hear around us, midtown Manhattan. Our special guest, he's been on the show before. But when we did that show, it was mid-March of 2021. Try to remember what we were living through then. The pandemic was just beginning to rage all across the country and everything was shutting down. And we had a conversation then about comedy, about anxiety, about depression, about all the adaptations we were going through. We were such babies then. At one point of the show I said, you know, we'll be back in restaurants in a couple of weeks or maybe a month or so. It was like a year and a half, folks. I'll never forget that show because not only was it great in terms of content, but it allowed me to forge a relationship with someone who I have kind of gotten to know. He's probably less happy about that than I am, but we'll find <laughs> no, out. Stop. Gary Goldman is our special guest ah, thank again. Thank you
2: for having me, and I'll, Gary,
0: it's great to I'll, see I'll- you in person. Yeah, we pledged this, we would yeah, do this, this on really that special. show. We yeah. said we're going to yeah. try to connect. We're going to try to find each, and here we have. It's taken a while. It's taken very, a while. Yeah, I'm
2: very grateful, and it it feels like a day ago, but also ten years ago <laughs> exactly. in in many ways. It's it's very confusing to the to the so, brain.
0: So the reason we're in New York, we came up especially to do this show with Gary. He's uh, an engine of comedic brilliance and genius. Two parts of that engine right now. A new book called Misfit. And a brand new HBO special debuting this week, "Born on Third Base." Congratulations thank on both. Thank
2: you, thank you. This was a this was a great year. Good year. Yeah. How are you yeah. doing? I feel terrific. I really, I really do. I, I've this is the longest I've gone in my life without an episode of depression interfering with my with my life and my work. So I'm I'm incredibly grateful and and always vigilant. But I, I feel more relaxed about the the. Um, endurance and, and
0: how long I can expect to feel good. And that must feel like a genuine heaven sent or nearly heaven sent gift.
2: Yes. I, I always used to say if I didn't have this ailment I would be capable of, of much more. I would be I would be able to to stick to a schedule and do things and but I would find that I would have six months of productivity and then be undone for a three to six month or sometimes, in the last case, two and a half year right. bout of depression. And then the, the issue with that is you get back to work, but you're so behind on so many things, mm-hmm. including your life and, and wanting to enjoy your life for a little while. And then saying, oh, I have to, I have to say, write a new hour of comedy. Or would, right. I've always wanted to write a book. And, and I was unable to commit to the three years that a book can take. Right. Because I didn't know if I would have th- three years of uninterrupted productivity and creativity and and I guess mental well-being, and so I'm I'm just so grateful. It was it took about three years, but I also had that pandemic year where I didn't right. have to do anything else except right, exactly. except work on my book and and um, exercise a little bit. So that that was. Uh, I mean, a a silver lining. There Mm -hmm. were were really no blessings from the pandemic, except that... Not really. Yeah. yeah, Except that connectedness that we talked about in that show.
0: Talk to your friends. Open up to your family. Yes. We all got a chance to do that, and then I think we all got tired of that after about a couple (laughs) of months.
2: (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) Too much sharing. Yeah. A lot of oversharing.
0: uh, (laughs) The era of oversharing. Yeah. It really was something. I want to ask you about your wife, because we talked to you about your family... Back in March of 2021, you write about her lovingly in the book. Tell me a little bit about your wife and how oh. crucial she has been oh. to all of this arc of perseverance, and now this great run of success. I am.
2: I and peace. I I, I love that question. People don't ask that enough because a, a depression is kind of a, a family illness, family affair, like a lot of illnesses. But but I know it's, it. it. It can be really trying, and and so. The interesting thing is, we were only together for about six months. I remember, when, I that. Yeah, when we when we well, when I fell apart, and she never wavered. And I would say, "Why are you sticking around? You you can get out." It would From be understandable. From the book, you said leave. Yes. Yes, I <laughs> save said yourself.
0: save yourself. <laughs> the ship yeah. is
2: sinking. Right. Yeah, and and she refused, and it was it was hard for me to to. Really internalized this at the time, but she loved me, and she mm-hmm. enjoyed my company, even though i was I was catatonic frequently and and really I, I, I was never negative in, in expressing myself as though i 'm dying or anything like that, and so maybe that was helpful i kept I was a good patient I kept trying to get better right, and, I, right. and I followed doctor 's orders and so so that was probably part of it, but also she just had so much strength and anyone I talk to who has been a partner of somebody with, with depression or anxiety, has, has um, reinforced that idea of how special my wife is and, and what she was she's a real she's a real warrior as the, as the young people say I ride or die, mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm so <laughs> I'm making Audrey <laughs> grimace. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I'm special so, associate producer I'm so, for this yeah, episode, I'm so Audrey. Gr- I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to my wife, and I, I express that so frequently. And we, as a team, are so grateful that I got better because it's opened up this really exciting period in my in my life where we're getting to do a lot of things, and we're able to vacation without worrying that that depression or anxiety could could um, mute the mm-hmm. excitement and the enjoyment. So it's just been I, I I've been just. So grateful.
0: And that reference to warrior reminds me of something you talked about in that episode we did back in March of 2021, Carrie Fisher writing in her book about mental illness. We need to give people who are suffering and who work through this more credit because they have a warrior mentality. They are trying to get better. And you need a warrior alongside you.
2: Yes. No, that's so true. That's so true. I mean, you can do it on your own, but it's so helpful to have somebody. I mean, my wife would go with me to every every psychiatry appointment and do research and ask questions and at one point she, she uh, illegally grew mushrooms psilocybin mushrooms because she had read a study about the effects of psilocybin mushrooms and there, there's actually a book by Michael Pollan where he goes mm. into it and it's actually much further along in testing and, yes. and usage and she tried to get me into a program where they were experimenting with it and I wasn't eligible and then she said alright I'll just grow them in our house
0: and it's all good. The statute of limitations, <laughs> yes, long statu- since passed. Yes. It's all good. <laughs> all good. People don't worry. Oh, my gosh.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, admitting a, a the felony. The hardly this ever is- listens to this
0: show. <laughs> hardly ever.
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: Wow. That's so good. Um, I'm sure there are many factors, but for those who are a-gleeful to hear the bounce in your voice, the three-year run, to yeah. what would you attribute this space it's actually and actually a six-year run. Six-year run, okay. Yeah.
2: What would I attribute to? I mean...
0: A lot of things, I'm a sure. A lot
2: of things. I mean, one thing that was that I had never tried before and was dramatically helpful was uh, inpatient psychiat- psychiatric ward at, at Weill Cornell, uh, New York Presbyterian, in, and also a treatment within mm-hmm. that, which was electroconvulsive therapy, yep. is, which is that thing that everybody's afraid of but is... It, it, from one like, movie, yeah, from one movie, but it 's like the gold standard of treating treatment resistant mm-hmm. depression, which is what I had. I had a two and a half year uh, bout that didn 't react that, that, that didn 't want to uh, participate in medication or, right. or a lot of other interventions and and but once the once the electroconvulsive therapy sort of rebooted or reset mm-hmm. my system. Uh, medicine worked and, right. and so the I pathways take, were reopened yeah, yeah the pathways were reopened and, and that's a great way to put it and, and so the medication works the other thing was once you get to a level where, you're, where you have a little bit of energy and a little bit of hope you're able to exercise, you're able to spend time with friends, you're able to do your work and and get out of the house and, and that just builds on it and, and so those are a, a lot of the things that I've been able to do to to maintain and and really even even strengthen it because I've 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 been out of depression a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. i mean, 6-9 months at a time. But there it was it was uh, there was always a fear that it would recur and also uh I don't want to chance it by trying to g- get even better by adjusting my medication or right. or adding a new medication or or something like that and and so that, that has really been, I mean, I keep saying grateful all the time, but that's become but that's my, the word. my refrain. You can't overuse it. You yeah. can't
0: overuse it. That's the voice of Gary Goldman. Lamb's Club in Midtown Manhattan is our host restaurant. Stay tuned for te- segment two, segment two of The Takeout in just one second. Welcome back, continuing our conversation with Gary Goldman here at the Lamb's Club, Midtown Manhattan. So happy to be doing this show. So happy to see Gary in person. Um, Misfit, the book, is about you. Yes. It's about your life. I'm about halfway through it, but I came across something probably the only thing that we actually share. A childhood drama that circulates around a library book. Oh wow. Really? Yeah. You lost (laughs) one and I lost one. (laughs) You had a family drama. I had a family drama. You haven't checked out a book since? If you're if I read the book correctly, I haven't checked a book out since. Wow. No, I
2: I I never checked out a book from the library at school again. I, I I had a really good relationship with with the librarians at the Linfield Public Library in Linfield, Mass. And and Who did not know
0: of the previous uh, scandal. <laughs>
2: yes, luckily they they weren't an in- interconnected universe.
0: There were no listservs yeah. back then.
2: <laughs> yeah, so so I lost a no book. No APBs in, out in, on Gary Goldman. age seven. Yeah, you'll you'll have to. Well, I'll just explain. In the, in the book, I, I'm forced to repeat first grade because my father has, a, has an idea that was uh, also just traumatic and, and wrecked my enjoyment of, of school. And, and I don't know why I feel the need to say this at 53 years old, but it wasn't because I wasn't a good student. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was a, I was in the, I was in the top reading group, which was called Sun Up. I was a good reader. I was good at math. My father felt that I would have an advantage in sports and for some reason felt I could have been more mature to go into second grade, which... (laughs) And you'd be big and all the kids would be afraid of you. Yeah, it was just lunacy. All these advantages stacking up. It was lunacy. So in the second run through first grade, I I lost this library book, and the librarian and the teacher sort of teamed up to get it back and and held me after school until it was returned, and it just... uh, it was, it was such a debacle and, and brought so much misery and ruined school for me, as well as the
0: school library. Happy ending. You found the book. I, I never didn't. found it. Oh, really? No. What was the name of your book? I can't remember the name of it. Okay. I just remember it had a cartoon of a dog on the cover that looked a lot like my dog. It looked oh. like a collie. And oh. that's why I checked the book out. Yeah, of course. Because the dog looked like my dog, Ruffy. And I don't know what happened to the book. For, the, for all of my life, I have no idea what happened to this book. But it was a family scandal. <laughs> my dad was furious. My mother yeah, was furious. My mother and it was, was from very upset. a very new kind of library back It's not a thing that you would understand now, most of you listening to this. But when they put library books for school kids in a van, a mobile library, oh, yeah, yeah, they yes. would drive it around your neighborhood, yes. it was the a book really mobile. special bookmobile, really yes. special thing. I checked it out from the bookmobile, so it was like a double offense. Like I was metaphorically urinating on this brand new (laughs) innovation that was so wonderful to spread literature to children all over the neighborhood, and I was disrespecting it. And it was a very big deal, and I've never found the book, I've never forgotten about it, and I've never checked a book out from a public library since. I buy all my books, which also is my way of... Thanking authors for writing them, oh, yeah, yeah, having yeah. written books I, myself, buy I, them. That's yeah. much better. At,
2: at a, at a point, I get a little
0: scratch out of it that way. See,
2: one of the points I got to financially was the financial comfortability to buy books rather than get them at the at the library. And I was a I was a library guy for a long time, but I I came across and it was probably on Goodreads a a, a sentence that said. Uh, a, Book good enough to read is good enough to own, or something exactly. like that. And I, and I, so yeah, I buy I buy books, and I, I just uh, the the idea going into writing the book was that I had to do uh, justice and service to this mm-hmm. to this art form right. that has brought me endless joy and company and and relief from from loneliness over the years. So I I took it very seriously, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to just type up my act. I had right. been burned by that before. I don't know if you remember the guy who played Jerry on Seinfeld, <laughs> but that, that's from my new special. Um, uh, uh, but he, he uh, put out a book. Who, who was that? Jerry Seinfeld. Who, who was that put, guy? Yeah, he put out a book in 1993, and I bought it. And I was a library guy, but I felt I need to own a book by a great comedian. And it was just his act typed up, and I was, I was outraged. <laughs> I was outraged. That was a
0: sick burn on you. It was really really bad. It really
2: was. The only person I will accept typing up your act and binding it and and selling it to us is uh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) That is the only... Otherwise, you write your own book. Right, and, exactly. And,
0: yeah. and there's one more of him than there is Jews in the <laughs> National Hockey League that Hall is, of Fame. That is
2: right. That is right. It is more likely <laughs> to be the Messiah than to be a Jew in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Wow. That's Thank also you. from the special. Thank you for watching the special. <laughs> <That's> My word. <laughs> Not
0: once, but twice. <laughs> uh, twice. Yes. That makes me so I happy. I am. It's got
2: rewatchability.
0: Yes. I uh, I skate. To extend the metaphor ever so briefly, dangerously close to fanboying and slobbering all over you. So oh, that's man. I'm I'm holding myself that, in emotionally at a so very tense I'm really, level. I'm
2: really happy to hear that. I sensed it, but it's <laughs> nice to, to hear it confirmed.
0: <laughs> it's oozing out of every pore yeah. of my body. Um, thank you, Audrey. Thank you. <laughs> It's always good to get a joke, to get a laugh out of Audrey. Um, what is it about? Because I read this in the book Misfit. Uh, you were a class clown. When did you know? When did you start being a class clown? Were you first a class clown for your mother?
2: Oh yes. Okay. No, that's a good way to to put it. I I. It was in a documentary about Kurt Vonnegut, and he said it so beautifully. He said, the, the youngest child is always the family comedian. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt that way. It's this great way to get attention. Yep. And in a family like mine where comedy and laughter was really valued... It, it was a and great a way to cope. Yes, totally. It was a, a and your siblings a, a, are older than you, right? Yeah, much older by much ten older. and thirteen years. So right. it was like a, it was almost like a separate family. And and but I could get attention from them, and they were actually incredibly generous in terms of bringing me around with their friends. And it was probably because I was kind of entertaining and mm-hmm. and and a a good a, 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 a good mascot. I I think I, I, I've, I've, A friend of mine was just telling me that that was. That, that or maybe somebody did a one-person show called "The Mascot," in which they were saying that certain people become the mascot for their family. Sure, yeah, right. And, and it's a way to, to cope and, and provide certain certain uh, skills and values to a to a value to a family. Yeah. And, and
0: as I read in the book, obviously you're doing this material for your brothers who are older. Your mother's yeah. obviously older. So your drollery didn't really work for your contemporaries. Oh, they no, didn't no, get no. it at all. No, they didn't. Yeah, the, the, they, the, the, the room. You were past the room already. I, was, I, was, I wasn't able you were to
2: play. The room. Yes, I, I wasn't able to play the, to the to the uh, the younger crowd. I, I was appealing <laughs> the to the to the, you. Yeah, you to the high school them. grads, and yeah. I was I would get good laughs from the kids in my neighborhood who were four or five years older than me, right. and and I I was I was embraced by them, and and that was very helpful. But then. The first time through first grade there I didn't really
0: Yeah I didn't Sandy Duncan, Marcus Welby, it just doesn't it, roll.
2: That was the second time through first grade and then into into fourth grade. I remember I remember making making these references that were for that were for teenagers and adults and the first graders weren't into it. And also that's that style of humor wasn't wasn't for them. They were they were still on duty in Pee Pee. Right. And right. I had moved on to I had moved on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, but you'll return yeah, to it if you're desperate, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of you can course. always go back to that. I, when you, I, I, when you, I mean, when but you I also
2: the the thing was is that I I wanted to be working my family and their friends, and so that their their laughter was harder to get. I think mm-hmm. I think I like to maybe I like to challenge, and and also in the in the second time through first grade, it was just th- that's a big year, one year from first to second is really big. And so these kids who were just starting first grade were very different from me. Right. And I didn't I didn't really connect with them. It was something.
0: <laughs> but you persevered, you made I, it through. I did you know?
2: persevere, but they, they're, 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 for years even after school there was a pit in my stomach every Sunday night of going back to school. Oh, and, Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a real thing.
2: Yeah. And I I remember it was the it was the Yep. 60 minutes that just <laughs> it was it was like Pavlov that was my Pavlov's bell
0: that so was like yeah it's coming
2: yeah and it, it would make me just uh, when we come back arrest I my I also joy. want to
0: thank the Lambs Club as our host restaurant here in Midtown Manhattan when we come back we're going to talk about not only school age anxieties and other things like that but when you first went on stage and what you remember from oh. that I'm Major Garrett Gary Goldman is our special guest back we'll right in one back. second yeah Welcome back to the Takeout. Gary Goldman is our special guest here at the Lambs Club, Midtown Manhattan. Uh, do you remember the first time you went up on stage, like to be, like not you're not playing the living room. You're October eleventh, nineteen ninety three, at Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston. It's a misty memory, isn't it? You have no recollection. really.
2: <laughs> yeah, Shrouded. The
0: memory is murky. No, I remember every every
2: moment of it, and it went well enough. That I thought, oh, I have a, I have a knack for this. Okay. I, I have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. I also had a healthy level of delusion where it's like, Necessary. no, I'm going to be... You've got to yeah, have it. you yes. got to have, it. You gotta have yes. it.
0: Absolutely. There is a fine line, ladies and gentlemen, between bravery and stupidity. There really is. I'm not, that's not a joke. No. It's, it's really remarkable. Because you are braver when you are not sure of what you're getting into. It's a fact.
2: Yeah. That's really helpful advice. I I was reminded of that recently, and and it's just it and it makes watching your early self a little a little cringeworthy. Sure. And you think, where did I have the, the gumption to do this when I was incompetent? And but and yet look how confident I am in this in this crap. Oh man. So yeah, I went up with a, yes. with a,
0: now with we, should, unearned we should pause confidence. here just for a second. Uh for the women who might be listening to this show, they would say, no, that's a male affliction. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. All, all guys think that they're better than they that's are. That's
2: possible. That's possible. In all
0: walks of life. Yeah.
2: But but for some reason, it didn't it it didn't feel that way in in a lot of other things. I was always very trepidatious in joining
0: new things. So let me ask you, before you things. went up on that stage, did you have a conversation with yourself about what this was supposed to be, what you were doing? This Because I think it's a monumental step to go from not on stage... On stage, I think yes. that's the longest journey in life. Yes, for someone who I trying say to be that to people who've,
2: who've started things like that. I say the hardest part is over. Going from not doing it to doing it—that's the hardest part. And then the second hardest part is every day <laughs> Just doing after, it. The, yeah, uh, until I mean, it it what kept me going was though was that I loved it. I had a really good time doing it, and I I just had real respect for the art form and, and so wanted to get better and knew what it took to get better. And, and it wasn't as clear back then because there weren't comedians discussing it in and podcasts and, and things like that and there weren't schools for it. But there there were enough stories of people saying... And, and I mean, as much as I... I make fun of Seinfeld he made it clear that you write you have to write a lot and you have to and you have to do it a lot and you have to get on stage a lot you have to cross things out yeah and you have to cross things out so that was that was really helpful and then I would just I I was good about reading things on writing Mm -hmm. and and performing and there were a handful of books that you could read that you would get maybe a a nugget of, of great information or advice and so I, w- I was really good at that. But the main thing was just t- to never quit mm-hmm. and or make the times when you do quit last less than the rest of your life because right. there were times where I can never do this again no, exactly. after a bad show and then somebody calls. Do you want to do a show? Yes, I do. Yes, I do.
0: What is the definition of a bad
2: show? I think it's, it's when you... That's a great question. I guess, of course, there would be a... a not a lot of laughs. Right. But but that's going to happen. But the happen. night before, you're working the same yeah, material same in a jokes. different city, and yeah. there are laughs. Yeah. So it's not like you're... Yeah. And so I'm going to direct this towards uh, people who are, are still at that point where a, a bad show can derail them. Mm. And it's that um, you should not let the audience or the circumstances take away your self esteem and and your feeling that oh, I enjoy doing this whether they laugh or not is not always in your control but you can do your best and, and commit and it's the other thing is it's also okay to acknowledge that you're not, you're not comfortable or doing well I mean that's incredibly vulnerable and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I think that's, that's part of the aim of doing doing stand up is to try to give a little piece of yourself and make yourself a little bit a little bit vulnerable and more and more vulnerable if you if you can the and audience really connects with that and and appreciates that Do you that. still
0: find that to be true?
2: Yes, I and and it's interesting what your definition of vulnerable how it how it changes over the years. Mm-hmm. I really believe when I first started it was vulnerable for me to just share things that I thought was funny right. were funny with an audience. And then, in, in 2019, it was, I'm going to tell uh, everyone with an HBO subscription right. my, how I recovered from a debilitating, crippling case of depression in, in 2017. And then, in the latest special, I think the most vulnerable thing I ever said on stage was that I was 53 years old and my net worth was $89,000. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that I, that but, I, climbing, that, but climbing,
2: but climbing, but okay. that I and that I that in I rent, but that I rented rather than owned. Yeah, and and people will probably go online two and slicer. Check okay, it's
0: a two slicer, we, yeah, not a four slicer. Yeah,
2: that's that's one of my favorite moments because I improvised that on on stage because <laughs> I, I for some reason I sensed that the people were not that um, they didn't feel bad and. Bad enough right. for me, right. because my my toaster doesn't fit on the counter, right. and they were they were thinking that it was a four slicer, which like yeah, it's the yacht of toasters. <laughs> of course, it's not going to fit on a <laughs> on a kitchen counter, but I I can't fit a two slicer and the coffee maker. Right. and we it's discussed coffee coffee earlier yes. today. Yes. I I just I it I I would I wish I could have given coffee a credit in my, in my special and an acknowledgement mm. in my book because it's the it provides me with a, a personality and, and, and frequently and a the, longevity yeah, and a yeah the confidence of a, of a, of a superhero yeah. yeah yeah
0: no doubt no doubt <laughs> I don't want to dwell on this but I do want to note it because you raised it in the book misfit uh, yes your depression was debilitating it was deep but you write in the book you thought about cutting yourself. You were really really down. Yeah. Down. Yeah. And I want people to hear that not because I want to dwell on it up, but because I want to hear them hear your voice say, "Yeah, I was there." Yes. I saw that place. Yes. And I'm not there anymore.
2: Right. I was I was suicidal and and had plans and ideas and and some half-hearted attempts. Or a half-hearted attempt in which I, I... It's interesting that the toaster comes into play again. We had gotten this new toaster, the two-slicer, and at one point at the at my wit's end, i I don't know why I thought this would work, but I took the plastic bag that the toaster came in and I put it over my head, and then as I'm doing it, my head emerged from the other side <laughs> of the plastic sleeve... I was, it's, uh, a, it's a sleeve. It's a sleeve, and and I I I mean you had to you had to laugh. <laughs> it's
0: it, it's it, the it, darkest humor it, I think it, I've it, ever come across. Oh, in the book. oh,
2: that's yeah. It's so true, and it's and horrible. But it's, it's hilarious, horrible, but but it is it is hilarious. And I didn't know um, how people would take it, but but I remember in the in the book I I said it was the shortest sentence in the book, which was funny. Period. <laughs> and and yeah i, I man i, I and i never told anybody that until i in effect told my author, my uh editor mm. author that that was a oh my gosh that made it sound like my editor wrote my book and and if there's a, any any way to take That's that not away cuz i need credit That's um and, and i don't want people to think that i i had a ghostwriter um but when i told my editor through the pages that i wrote mm-hmm that I had and but Gary Goldman wrote ladies yes, and gentlemen yes that I was expecting capital g a
0: r y I, I was
2: expecting him to say well that's too dark mm. but but he thought it was a, a really interesting way to start the book and let people know where I was when I when I um, when I moved back home to my mother to to uh, convalesce right yeah and to
0: begin this therapeutic journey yes. which to go back to where we started is in a really great place yes yes Yes, and I want people to hear this, who might be at some other place on this journey, to know through you, it's possible, it's yes. real.
2: No, completely. And I, I mean, I, I people have been lower, but I, I I remember being in the hospital thinking I'm as I'm as low as a, a lot of these mm-hmm. people, and and so I, be, I I belong here. It wasn't. It wasn't a case where it was on the on the margins. I, I really needed that, and and my only regret is that I took so long to to take that step, which was and it was fear. I was uh, I was afraid of it, and and I had been sort of propagandized by a movie sure. that came out in the seventies, right? Right. And Against uh, the, and to uh, yeah, th- it would, to be fearful of of the hospital and the, and that particular treatment, the electroconvulsive therapy.
0: That's the voice of Gary Goldman. Stay tuned for segment four of the takeout in just one second. Welcome back to The Takeout. Gary Goldman is our special, against, our special guest. Again, our thanks to the Lambs Club here in Midtown Manhattan. Great vibe. We're just having coffee and water. We're sort of gutting it out, not doing the whole luncheon thing here. Gary's just off the basketball court, for goodness sake. <laughs> I really am. He can't get a big calorie overload right now. <laughs> so we're going to be respectful of that. I want to talk a little bit about the HBO special, if we can. Yes, just a couple no, of things. Um, you talk about your childhood, not only in the sense of normal things that make you nervous or anxious as a child, but among your contemporaries, you were poor. Yes. And you talk in great detail about the sharpness with which poor children develop a sense of the world around them and have a much better sense of money and finances than better off kids. And you also talk about initiative. Oh, yeah. And the misplaced concern (laughs) about the initiative of those who are impoverished. Please. Carry on with that.
2: Yes. I I mean, it's ironic that I'm being stared down on by Ronald Reagan, who sort of uh, mainstreamed that idea that came from from Barry Goldwater, who was such an astute politician that his bumper stickers said, vote Barry (laughs) A-U-H-2-O. He was... he was uh, going for a southern strategy by appealing to people who were familiar with the periodic table of the elements and and their combinations i mean just just such a silly man but he he was the person who sort of the, uh popularized this idea that that welfare was was strangling america and also and and this was very helpful in in changing people's minds toward the the safety net that that uh, LBJ and mm-hmm. Truman and 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 even Eisenhower and of course uh, FDR, but but that the the welfare wasn't working and it was right. and it was and it was ruining the the initiative and of the poor and they were becoming, as Goldwater put it, uh, dependent creatures, mm-hmm. which is like a, a picture of a of a monster. Right. And and I wanted to get this across in my, in my special, and I just happened to come across it in a, in a sentence when I was writing, and, and I think, oh, let's try this, and the, the hard thing to do with comedy when you're trying to make a point mm-hmm. is that sometimes it doesn't get laughs, it gets claps, and, right. and I think Seth Meyers called it clapter. And it really bums me out because it's like I'm, I didn't go into this to be a, right. a cheerleader or, or, or a, a rallying, a preacher or anything like that. I want to get laughs, and I was, I was finally able through a use of of a comedy formula, not really a formula. It's just a, a irony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I said, the people said it, it may, they would say, welfare doesn't work. It makes the people dependent. And lose their initiative, and I said, "Oh well, th- well, thank you I, for looking out for my initiative, my precious initiative, and my your character, my, yes. yeah, and my character. My fear was um, my only fear now is that um, you're going to take this extra money that you're able to keep by not by not helping out the the poor and and children by uh, leaving it to your." your children in the form of a trust fund which trust fund is this is this very expensive way to tell your children you don't believe in them uh it's trust fund is short for uh trust me you're a loser and and so uh and my fear is that your children are going to become dependent on this trust fund and lose their initiative and and that was the final way i was able to put it and i remember it, it, it's always great to hear from a colleague that what you're saying works. And I remember Michael Che was in the was sitting in the back when I said that for the first time, and he and he said something to the effect of, "I always wanted to be able to get that point across, and you really did it." And I was I was really grateful for him. He's a just a wonderful thinker and, and performer, and that was that was really nice when when a, co- a colleague
0: appreciates yep. your yep. work, no doubt. Yeah. And one thing you talk about in the special Born on Third Base is. You're a product of the 70s and 80s.
2: Yeah.
0: Income inequality was real then, but it's far, far yeah. more out of whack yeah. now. Yeah. And that creates all sorts of societal tensions and pressures and a sense of distance between ourselves. Yes. That's yes. a really big issue. It's a yes. big deal.
2: Yeah. I mean, there, there, have been, there have been studies, and I'm sure there are studies to... to cover everything but I I, I I feel this this kind of resonated that people who are insulated by I mean and I'm not talking millionaires I'm talking billionaires right, and right. 200 millionaires I, right. I I've heard 40 million is plenty <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd like to try and yeah, find out. Yeah, I would
2: love to try $40 million. I wonder if I would still think for a moment when the ATM says, uh, there's a $3 fee, do you want to continue? Like, I see that $3 fee, I'm like, like mm, that seems like a lot of money. Yeah. Maybe I should take out more so it's not a bigger percentage. Exactly. So it's a lesser percentage. I'm always on the bench for, about that fee, so I'm yeah. I'm taking out Three, $20. Right, for $3. For
0: $3? That's That's like gazo. Yeah. <laughs> Rocky reference? Well, yes, also a great special.
2: Rocky reference. My word. So, anyhow, I I um I find the income inequality and, and and I, again I, I feel like that Jerry Seinfeld has become a a, a scapegoat in this in this <laughs> special, a but a but, but I I feel like he's in my business ostensibly and he's worth a billion dollars and I'm like, is he is he that much better than me? If at all, is he better? Is he $999,911,000 better than me? That's, the
0: That's how we got to the $89,000, yeah. <laughs> folks. Full circle. Everything yeah. is full circle. Um, how much do you love the show Shark Tank?
2: Oh, I despise it. I think, it, I think it, is a, it is a despicable display, and I can't get over how many people find it so compelling that it's on just about all the time. Yeah. It's it's it runs for episode after episode after episode and it is it is another example of this income inequality where it is so vast and also just the, the, the lack of empathy that billionaires feel it's okay to force entrepreneurs to essentially dance for a small investment right. in their life's dream, this thing they've put everything into. And, and yes, there are success stories of Spanx and, and I can't think of any other, but, but uh, most of these people are just humiliated yep. or derided by these people who aren't that much, they're, they're, I don't think they're that clever. I, I feel like without exception, they all caught lightning in a bottle mm-hmm. And they walk around like they invented lightning and the bottle and it Both. and, it, and it, yes and I and just it, yeah. and, it, and it's infuriating and it makes me it, 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 and look it's such it, a franchise that they have to do what blood. CBS
0: does with CSI, where you give another location to it. It's just Shark Tank. Yeah. It's not the Shark Tank Singapore or Sydney. It's just Shark Tank. <laughs> That's a it's great ubiquitous. Point.
2: It must the franchise us- is so massive. Yeah, so little to make. And I understand that there is a... Uh, it's, a it's a Jungian thing where where the, the Jung said that there's a Cinderella story in every culture. Cultures that never intersected. And there's a shark tank, it seems, in every... <laughs> Economy. There's a version of that show, the predator, dragons, yes. and, and it's just... And I, and I say in this special, but I want to reiterate this. I would rather be in a shark tank than on Shark Tank. I would rather take... Because I, 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 a, a, a mako shark or a great white shark will not take as much of your equity when, it, when they eat you alive as, as, say, the Shark Tank sharks, the Mr. Wonderful
0: Laughs and finance, that's what we do here at The Takeout, ladies and gentlemen. So concludes this episode. Stay tuned for The Takeout Outtake Especial. See you next week. Welcome to Your Takeout Outtake Especial. The Lamb's Club in New York City is our host restaurant. We're deeply grateful to them. Gary Goldman is our special guest, so Gary has been on the show before, so we're not going to do the three questions. He's already answered them, but I want to go in a slightly different direction because it is the holiday season. Uh, do you have... A favorite holiday movie, and if so, can you tell my audience what it might be?
2: A Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs>
0: Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah, there we go.
2: I, I mean, it's it's just extraordinary. It's funny. It's got the heart of of Dickens's. Well, it is Dickens's Christmas Carol, but it has Jim Henson's Muppet creations, and and it just I literally laugh and cry, and I'm so moved. I I I mean, I have a tradition every year where I consume the a Christmas Carol story in at least five different. Forms, yeah. So I I listened to a Tim Curry audible version. I watched the Muppet Christmas Carol. I watched the Patrick Stewart version Mm -hmm. of the Christmas Carol. And then I read a book called The Man Who Invented Christmas about writing (laughs) the Christmas Carol. And then my wife and I are going to see a man. And his name escapes me, but he performs every character in a Christmas Carol on stage at the Soho Playhouse uh, through January 3rd, I think, like that. And we saw it last year, and it's just... I mean, it's it's breathtaking, astonishing.
0: One actor, one actor does everything, performs,
2: and there's like there seems to be like 18. He and and I know you're thinking, not Fezziwig. Does he do Fezziwig? Yes, he does Fezziwig. He does all the he does all the ghosts and Fezziwig.
0: And obviously had a horrible, horrible childhood. <laughs> He had to right <laughs> oh my god let me
2: look well, oh yeah my word loneliness loneliness one of the great producers of creativity
0: connect the dots for my audience yes. that if oh
2: yes that in the, i that i the, say that in the my relationship Zoom special, between
0: yeah. your extrovertedness yeah is proportional to your loneliness
2: yeah yeah to me, to me i i, th- I think i would... but i mean i i was thinking about this and the, and Dickens wrote a, wrote a book about this I think called The Haunted Man and and it's just a, a about how these these painful experiences do serve a purpose they kind of make you who you are mm-hmm. they, the the uh, Wordsworth idea the, the the child is the father of the man and yep. and it makes you who you are for better and worse but there are a lot of great things that come from this I I've I've been living a, a dream for a long time because I needed attention. So it's 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 fascinating, and I I wonder. I, I the one thing I will say is it 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 could have been easier. Mm-hmm, I, sure. I I could I could have been been a, 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 people could have been a little bit more compassionate. The librarian right. could have been. <laughs> The librarians in our life could have been a little bit (laughs) nicer uh, about it the nature of kids is to lose things whether it's mittens or hats or coats and library books or or teenagers
0: and driver's licenses i won't (laughs) go into any more grisly detail about that but anyway um you mentioned something when we talked in march of 2021 that i want you to repeat for my audience because i found it profound then i find it profound now a quote from samuel beckett about
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem with this quote is it's been co-opted by tech bros. But is that right? Yeah, yeah. No. I I wanted to use it as the epigraph to my book, but my editor said it's it's been ruined by guys in frats. Oh, nice. (laughs) Guys from frats. Yes. Um. And and so. Well, at least at least at at least tech
0: tech bros can can fall back on their philanthropy because they're so generous. They're not not like the robber barons of the Gilded Age who didn't do anything. Public libraries. Yeah, Andrew Carnegie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, they don't do anything. Tech bros do nothing.
2: Yeah. And they know it.
0: Lamborghinis with vanity plates. But let's excise them from this, but the quote still matters. And it's meaningful to me and to you. Absolutely.
2: Ever tried, ever failed. Try again, fail again, fail better. And there there's more to what he said but that one phrase fail better mm-hmm. became kind of a mantra to me and it relieved me of all the pressure of doing well on stage I just had to try really hard take some risks and by doing that I was I was successful it wasn't the outcome I was tied to the to the trying and and challenging myself. And once the audience's response was taken away, it relieved me from having to feel bad the next morning if it didn't go well.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: And you can apply that to everything.
0: Everything and anything. That's yeah. the voice of Gary Goldman, our special guest. So concludes our takeout outtake especial against our thanks to the Lambs Club here in Midtown Manhattan. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanan. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News.